Hello, fellow songwriters, and welcome to the 12th episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I'm your host, Trey Xavier, and today we're going to be talking to the band Monuments about their forthcoming fourth album, In Stasis. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by my seven-day Riff to Song Challenge, which is a free mini course where I show you how to turn one riff into one song in one week. To take the challenge, hit the link in the description and follow the instructions, and in just a week, you will have a completed song. So now, please welcome my esteemed guests, Andy and Brown of the band Monuments. Yo, what is up? (laughs) How is it going, Trey? Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hi, thanks for coming, guys. Very cool. Good to be here on Gear Gods. I'd like to see what the songs sound like after seven days. Yes. The main thing about it is that they're done, (laughs) is that they exist. The whole thing (laughs) is to get people, guitarists who I'm sure you're aware of, tend to be riff hoarders, you know? (laughs) Yeah, this guy. This guy. Hundreds of riffs, (laughs) zero songs. Right. Yeah. So... If you want to learn how to make riffs, I know a place. I know a place. <laughs> it's called Play Ma- Learn Master of Puppets. No, it's <laughs> it's called John's Strum Slow. Strum, Strum Slow Ball. University. <laughs> that sounds like it, a real English college somewhere. Did you go to Strum Slow? <laughs> you take your time with it. <laughs> Also, there's other guitar players too, actually. The ones that have one riff that they work on for five years. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And it's still still never have a song. Yeah. No. No, but for real, it's Riff Hard University, which is the other place that we've been on a podcast together, Brown. Yeah, we have. I still sometimes get people, literally strangers DMing me being like, I just heard your episode of the Riff Hard podcast, man. It was awesome. I'm like, Wow. That's amazing. Like, <laughs> wow. It means like two that years is, that is huge, yeah. later or good, something. Good for you, Brown. That's awesome. Oh, no, good for Trey. People wow. want to listen to him talk. That's the thing. Good for both of you. <laughs> the whole idea with the challenge is to get people to just finish a fucking song, even if it's nothing amazing or special. It's just like, follow, like, just do it real simple. Keep it basic. You can get fancy later. Right now, just finish one. Right. The practice of completing a draft, and, and that way you can have something tangible to refine, and it's there, and it's not just another half-finished demo that never sees the light of day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very cool. That, that's great. I really like that. I think that's a good cause, because that's always a challenge, is just getting something ready to... It's complete, you know? Yeah. And then you kind of get the bug. Um and like, then you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And then you're addicted to finishing songs, and, and now, now you can do it. Yeah. So you don't die with, the, with a pile of riffs. Yeah. You teach yourself that it can, it can be done. Once every four years. Once every four <laughs> years. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, like, you're not actually, comp- like, making a pile of riffs and, th- and, like, writing them as you go. It's every four years panic. <laughs> and then... This sounds uh, familiar. Uh, I can live with that, yeah. And then... How do I turn these into a song? Guess I got to take Trey's challenge so we can finish the monuments record. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to take that challenge. Yeah. For real, though, it's coming. It's that time. It's the four years around. And In Stasis is coming out the day, which is 
15th. The 15th? Of April. Yes. We've actually been hearing this date since I think September last year, maybe August. Yeah, we've been, uh, this record's been finished for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that when we got the deadline, when we were like, this is when it should be done, we were all just like, oh, yeah, we'll totally have it done by then. And then it got really <laughs> hard to finish by the fifth. Like, we did it, but man, it was crunch time at the end for sure. Some people, myself very much included, need the pressure of the hard deadline to really get her done. And so I feel that. But you did it. Yeah, we had to fire under our asses. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, having that deadline just means that you actually do the job. Because if you don't, it just goes on for years otherwise. Yeah, I need someone telling me, yelling at me to, to hurry up. Because if I'm my own boss, I'm going to do a, a bad job. It's sort of the art, one of the artist's... Um quandaries right like creative people right most artists yeah you might work well under pressure to a degree but you also need a lot of time you know things take time to get good but if you just believe that more time equals better then it'll t then it could take forever and be the best right but at a certain point you got to put it out yeah if it's it's about how much freedom you you give yourself uh it's like when i go to the grocery store and buy too many snacks and i'm like this is gonna last me two weeks and then i eat them in like five <laughs> days also time doesn't equal good no yeah that's the other thing yeah yeah we kind of put ourselves through like a seven day finish the song and it was 11 <laughs> or 10 of them or whatever yeah, what well, I mean, one of the songs I think we completed in two days. Yeah, like we had we had riffs there for it. Yeah, I mean there there was stuff that was there prior, but didn't use any of those we, riffs though. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess not. Just rewrote them all, you know. Yeah. But at least it had a beginning that it came from. You know, anyone can do it if they want. Like you say, your seven day challenge. It's once you get your mind into it, you can actually do it pretty easily as long as you've got the focus. Yeah. Basically, on this podcast, there's one question, and every other question is just a follow-up of that question. And the big question is, what is your typical songwriting process, and what was it like if it was different for this album? Stress. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Brown, why don't you kick it off, and I can add to your... So this time, we actually did it a little bit differently. So for the last few, we would just like write individually and then come together to kind of finish it. Uh, and we did that for some of the songs on this record, where I would write a bunch of riffs, send it to everyone as like a sort of, you know, structure kind of. Mike would play around with drums, sometimes the structure, and then eventually when Andy was like, oh yeah, I can write to this now. There's a verse there, there's a chorus. There's, you know, something that I can make a story out of. Then the vocals would begin. Whereas this time, Mike actually came up before the recording to, we jammed it in a room where we would see how the parts felt as well. So we'd go to the next level. You know, a lot of bands used to get together and just write in the rehearsal room. And we haven't done that ever, pretty much since the first record, we did it a little bit, but we decided to do that process again and think, how does this actually feel? Because uh, there's a lot of notes. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah. like, if you don't feel what it feels like, sometimes you're like, this is going to make playing live horrible. It's not going to be nice anymore. So it did good for that. Yeah. So it's like taking it from the guitar pro stage to the play it in real life stage. Yeah. I mean, you can actually see some of that process. Mike posted a video on his YouTube 
where I couldn't actually play the riff yet. <laughs> um, so we were able to like jam like that as well. Like he was in the other room, would send me all of his mics into this room and I would jam along and he would hear me in that room. And it was like isolated, but we'd still jam together. It's cool. That's how the process went. When he wrote it, did he like program it and send you like some programmed shit? Yeah, yeah. Or he would play it on like piano. Like Mike's really good at writing drums on a piano, so a lot of times that's how he would like program his drums. It's just. But I mean, did he program the gu- the guitar part? The oh, that you couldn't that Brown could. He did. Play? Yeah, yeah, he did. On, on one song, yeah. So for one song, Mike wrote the entire thing. Um, a song called Somnus, and I actually had to change that. <laughs> yeah, we we definitely we we both changed that song a bit. So. And, and that's the thing is like what Brown described is like the first half and then we would sort of kick into this collaborative mode where uh, it was like open season with the structure and the, and some of the note choices. Like I would be like, hey, I'm hearing this this part go twice or I think we should move this part here. And we did a lot of that, a lot of restructuring for all the songs. And Brown would just have his library of riffs that he would slowly structure and, and turn into something tangible and then... um. I guess like I would get my hands on it or Mick Gordon would get his hands on it and we would be in in a discord basically just going back and forth with ideas and cuts and versions. There was there was a lot of passion and push and pull to it, but with that process I think it became uh really refined. We were able to get them to a place where it wasn't just like, "All right, here let me poop out this track, throw some vocals on it." It was like, "Okay, I have this track. I think, you know, I would do a better job if this part was like this and they would be like, oh, okay, let's do it. That and, you know, just uh, slowly but surely crystallizing to be as best as it could be. Yeah, definitely having Mick involved added some ideas that we wouldn't have thought of as well. Like, uh... yeah, yeah, he was, he was like very closely involved with the, um, the in, like everything from its inception, basically the, from the songs from the ground up and, um, adding little diamonds here and there that would inspire us to do other things. There's points on the album where people are like, oh, where's Mick? And he literally copied the guitars on a synth. And when it's taken out, you can really tell because it adds this layer of disgusting to it that's like really quite unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of atmosphere. There's like, uh, it's, that's like saying, <laughs> where's the bass player, you know, because he really was very foundational to a lot of these songs and there's so much goodness in there so much juiciness that you'd be missing without but i guess you know featuring mick gordon people think oh he's gonna rip like a solo or something but no he was he he was like a, a producer with us and obviously backing everything with his crazy atmospheric synth and ambient motifs that just really pulled everything together glued it together and also gave the whole album like a sonic theme of its own. I think he was responsible for making it extra cohesive. There's points where it's more obvious, like where it sticks out a little bit more mm-hmm. than others. And there's some, somewhere it's like just sort of like a subtle soundscape thing that you probably wouldn't notice unless you were paying a bit more attention to it. But it's something that enhances the experience of listening in ways that you wouldn't necessarily. They're not front and center. It's uh, it's experiential and yes. um, and yeah, subtle, totally. but but also important. Kind of like like a certain ingredient, like vanilla in a cake. 
you know, you don't you don't eat a piece of cake and go like, mmm, I can really taste the vanilla. Is that yeah. real Madagascar vanilla? Yeah. You're just like, damn, this is a good ass cake. Right, right. You enjoy it more. You don't really know why necessarily always. It's like reverb as well, you could say. You know, when good reverb, you don't really hear it, you feel it. Yeah. And if and if it's not there, you're kind of like, okay, why isn't this cake that great? Right. Or you don't even know. You're just subconsciously, you don't like it as much. And yeah, you know, this is the thing is that the, is that it's all about little tiny elements coming together, like hundreds of them. It's never one big thing that makes up something great. It's it's lots of tiny meticulous efforts, I think. Yeah. So how did Mick get involved in the first place? I remember back, uh, let's see, at Henning's Brown, we were talking about it a little bit. I think that was the first. I think maybe by that point you'd put something out with him on it. But how did um, how did you get him in on it in the first place so i asked him to do the the album previously which he agreed to and then he got stolen away for doom eternal (laughs) which obviously you know if it was between that or doom i'd be jumping at doom as well so yeah it ended up that he couldn't do it and we got the amazing paul ortiz from chimp spanner to do the background layers of the third record so i just reopened the conversation as we started writing for this record it would be cool if you know if we could, you know, collaborate with Mick. He's got a very unique perspective on everything. He doesn't, like, he would ask us, like, what's this song about? What are the lyrics? What's the overall theme? And he wouldn't invase on it. Like, he wouldn't be invasive in any way. He wanted to complement what was already there and not take the the limelight from it. He just wanted to enhance what we already had, which I think was very important. He didn't want to take over. Albeit, it would have been great if he did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was really inspiring, too, uh, to see him get so excited about the music. It made us excited, and that was just really good for the the chemistry and the synergy of the whole process. Yeah, he he was super stoked about it. And it started as one song, so I originally asked him to do one song, which ended up being Lavos. And then I just asked him after that, do you want to do the whole record? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be down. Yeah. You got that John Brown clout, and he's in. <laughs> not at he's all. Nothing. <laughs> Whatever. He's being modest. Yeah, but he's um, yeah, he's great. Perfect. Perfect compliment. I think if people work well together, if you work together on one project and it works out well, and everybody's happy with the result and how the the workflow and the process of it went, they're for sure going to say yes to do it next time. People don't really think about how important it is to be easy to work with there are people with like extreme skill or tons of clout or whatever like some famous producer but you might you know get in the room with bob rock and maybe the chemistry personal chemistry isn't there or he's a dick or you're a dick or whatever and it doesn't (laughs) none of that other stuff fucking matters like if you have a shitty attitude it's not going to come together but it sounds like you guys like work together really well and of course he would you know goes really well for one thing you guys are stoked on it like yeah just parlay that into a whole album why not yeah yeah that's definitely true like your co-workers will make or break the job that you're doing and uh, we just worked really well together and it was super pleasant. So naturally the stuff we were doing was, I think it came out pretty good because of that. Yeah. Maybe you could walk us through like the whole process for one song, one like on the album that went basically just a, a good example of how the the whole workflow went 
from inception of the idea to basically final product. Which song? Do you want to say Cardinal? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one to, to explain, sure. So yeah, Cardinal started, I actually wrote it on live stream, that song, which was, you know, so to me, it was written in such a short space of time that I didn't really think it was a good song. <laughs> you know, that whole Bro. time versus thing, you know? I'm so angry at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what it's like. If you've written something in five minutes, you're like, it can't be good because I haven't spent the time to make it good. And it was like a while ago too. Yeah. So originally I wrote a couple of the riffs and it ended up being a competition for Riff Heart, um, which was to win an overload guitar. Our video guy, Adam, was in the room while I wrote it. I would literally wrote these riffs in about 15, 20 minutes as I needed to get it done to go out. So then from that, I ended up doing a live stream to finish the song, which got to a certain level. And then I passed it over to Andy and Andy was like, I really like this. I'm going to write some vocals to it. From there, did we do any vocal changes to it after you'd sing? There was a specific chord in the chorus that I changed in order to make this vocal line work. So yeah, you asked me to change a chord that then t- spiraled into this. Yeah, weird yeah, yeah. Thing. So initially, the progression was like, and I was like, we should be like, you know, give it that like, we are the dark. Because I would have had to be like, we are the dark. And I didn't think that was as epic. So I was like, try this one. And I actually like went into a Odin guitar program and programmed the chord. I was like, try this chord. And we struggled with it for a bit until we found the chord. And then it was like, all right. And that's like a little Andy tweak that would happen to one of Brown structures. Or maybe I would like move a part in the song or, or add it. I was like, let's bring that part back here. Just little things that I, th- I thought would make the vocals more thematic and epic. And, and I think Mikey would do the same thing in terms of structure to keep stuff from getting stale. He was really good at knowing when the songs needed to breathe for a little break or drop out the drums and yeah, little things like that. So with Cardinal, that's exactly what we did. And um, Brown, you named it Cardinal Red, right? Before we even wrote the lyrics. Yeah. So often or not, I'll kind of have an idea on theme. Because I, I can't really write music without a general purpose. Like, I can't just go in and write a riff. I need to try and explain something. Yeah, you're literally like, what's this about? And then you you explain it through your through his riffs. Yeah. That helps me a lot. That gives me a jumping off point. Riff-splaining. Riff-splaining. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I like yeah. that. That's, our new, that's the new word. Thank you, Brian. Riff-splain. That's really good. <laughs> Yes. Awful. I love it. So like, yeah, with the, I generally have like a a word or a sentence that will be like, oh, this song's kind of about this, but it will be really like brief. It won't be like a complete story. So it allows Andy to show that from his perspective when it comes lyrically. Cause I think that that's, if you can connect with it individually, then you're not forcing someone to write something maybe they're not into. And generally they're scenarios that kind of we've all experienced. That's kind of like the things that I write about. Yeah, a lot of times Brown will just give me like a a motif of an idea and then I can take it and run in my direction. And then it's it's something that can be interpreted in your own way. And so Brown has his way of interpreting it and I have my way of interpreting it. And um, yeah, I think I just do a lot better writing lyrics with uh, someone else's jumping off point in mind as well because I've probably written like 200 
songs worth of lyrics and having the mind of brown <laughs> you know inspire uh what i'm doing is it opens up a lot of doors so i was really grateful to have that yeah like writing from a prompt yeah yeah from a brown prompt and also just uh things that i wouldn't have come up with from scratch for my own brain so like for example like makeshift harmony the name for it before was called swans yeah exactly yeah and then i was like hmm how can i sort of th- that just gave me imagery like a swan like it's beautiful but deadly and and what 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 else is beautiful but deadly you know yeah relationship wise or in your life or uh, yeah, just little things like that. It's all I need to to get going. And that's literally what that was written about. It's about how something can be beautiful on the outside, but completely toxic on the inside, which a swan can be. You know. Yeah, yeah. So little things like that. Nothing too deep, but a scenario for Andy to go find. <laughs> yeah. Or 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 it would be like something that we all sort of struggled with. Like one of them, Somnus, was is is about sleep being your demon and and not being able to achieve sleep whether it be through some sort of disorder or paralysis or racing thoughts or whatever but you know we all have our own reasons why we're too fucking stressed to sleep and um <laughs> we we take that and run with it yeah and same with arc essence as well so that was um right imposter. right that, that was called imposter yeah. from from brown and he was like this kind of is about imposter syndrome and i was like oh buddy i, I got you i got you there <laughs> let me get my hands on this one yeah yeah, and away you go. <laughs> and I, I really liked. I felt connected with with the rest of the the band members doing doing that. And I think all of those, like I said, that's like another tiny thing that helped make up uh, the album is is being able to relate to each other with those themes. Ironically, sometimes imposter syndrome is the only thing that you feel qualified to write about <laughs> yeah oh man and the, yeah dude it gets so meta it's like am i qualified to write about this <laughs> qualified to write about it Fuck. Shit. holy shit ah! and then we got a uh, spencer satello on that one to take a little pressure off of me so because <laughs> you were like you were like oh i don't really i don't know let's get an, let's bring in an expert i'm not really <laughs> let's get someone to legitimize this operation yeah <laughs> God damn it. But sometimes it goes a little bit deeper than that as well. Sometimes I'll have like an idea before I even begin writing riffs, which then gives me the opportunity to like explore some maybe different sort of tonal uh, centers. So with Arc Essence, for example, a lot of that's in Mixolydian flat six, which has this particular like wonder sound to it, especially between the one and four chords. It's a beautiful sound. So that ended up starting being written in that weird sort of scale because it i wanted it to sound like out of this world kind of sound you know like you weren't in control to you know for imposter syndrome so often or not i'll go down those little paths too sometimes that's cool so you consider you're you're able to consider the effect of the sound before you actually start in on it yeah it's like uh do you know the latest in fact actually i think there might be two more out now but jurassic world do you know that bit in it where it replays the theme just on a solo piano when they go into the old visitor center. Shit like that. Not off the dome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I gotta watch it again. That one. I liked that movie a lot, but I gotta go see it again. Really? Oh yeah. I I hated the movie completely, but that bit where it brought me back to 1993 when they played that theme, I was like, yeah, that's the shit I love. So it's thinking about it in a film music sense, like how can I explain this situation with certain notes. I often go to minor because obviously the minor's best, but. 
It's home base. Yeah, it's home I base. Think, for most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, misery and sadness is home base. Unless you're uh, in a pop punk band. Yeah. Let's go. Um, or Andrew WK, but yeah, then uh, it's getting out of this town. Then it's getting the fuck out of this town that you don't need, but you'll be there forever. We all know it, right? In your heart and and your genes. <laughs> so you've described the process up to a certain point. You've started creating something out of this soup, out of the sort of lyrical prompt, and you're chopping up the song. How do you take it that last bit? How do you start? finalizing the structure and dialing it into the point where you can start calling it basically finished. I guess it's like the demo is coming together and we all have our scratch parts laid out. And once it's right once it's all right in front of us, then we can get to the nitty-gritty and like like often actually with Cardinal Red even uh when I send my vocals born to rate the world of all like that bit was just at the beginning and they they heard that and they're like, "Oh, that would be great at the end of the song too." So yeah, it's like having we have a bird's eye view of all the elements uh, sonically, and then it it just becomes clear when you can see it all like that in front of you. We I think we had a good sense of knowing when something was done or it needed a little bit more. Or um, I'm like, you know, that's perfect, but can we get like a cool little swell thing from Mick here? Like you can just tell there's a few more gaps it's like a it's like a crossword puzzle that's nearly finished and you can see it's a lot more obvious which words you're missing now that many of the elements are together um at least that's that's how it felt for me um finishing the songs it was like sort of a a compounding thing it got easier and easier as as it came together i like allowing the recording process to be open as well to change yeah yeah true so during the recording of the guitars, there's definitely some parts that changed, mainly probably because I forgot how to play them. But that's part of it, baby. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, and so sometimes yeah. you play something a little bit differently. It's like when uh, I did the playthrough video for False Providence, and there's two ways to play the clean part in that. Couldn't remember which way I played it, so I just you know just went with it. So yeah, during the recording process as well, I will just often think, "Oh, that sounds cool in the moment." Yep, yep, me too, me too. And we all we all did our own shit re- remotely by ourselves for this album. Is that's worth mentioning? Which obviously it has its pros and cons. The pros being we we could be as comfortable as we want on our own time tracking our own stuff. But then the cons, like we're not all in the same room, we can't actively comment. But that's what the pre pro was for. That's why we did a hefty amount of of deep pre-pro and um i still felt the same like i would change little things here and there when tracking and be like oh that's better or i would think of an extra layer or harmony but because of all the prep work we did i think everyone's voice was was there and kind of as as we were tracking like we would make sure everyone was cool with what we had before going in and finalizing parts so (laughs) <laughs> and then, then Mike goes in to record drums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the end of Arc Essence. Like, he was working that out for two or three hours. He was writing it out to try and play. You, you know which, you've, you did you listen to it, Trey, the ending of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I listened to the whole thing, but I don't remember it specifically. It's the one where, where it's all... You no no idea what's going on, right? Oh, okay, yeah. That bit, <laughs> because uh, it took me uh, probably a couple of weeks to really work out what Mike was doing because it's constantly shifting yeah. time. Yeah, these guys made me count a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember remember when he was in the studio recording that because he recorded at the studio upstairs from here. 
And he's like, yeah, I got to, I, I thought I could just play this, but I can't. So I'm gonna have to write it down. So he was there for two or three hours writing it all out. And then I went into, you know, watching recording. I was like, I have no idea what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And it took a, it took a, it took a little while to internalize it that bit, but stuff like that just happened in the moment, you know, and it sounded cool. He got a wild hair up his ass. Something. <laughs> Chased it down. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. But yeah, we're open just to, you know, things in the moment. If, you know, the person that's going to be playing the part thinks it sounds cool, let's roll with it. Yeah. And also, I will say these guys gave me a lot of leeway and freedom and respect to mess with their songs, which I was really, really, like, humbled and honored by because... We just did it back to you. <laughs> just being allowed into this band and then, you know, they trust me to uh, have such hefty musical influence, not beyond the vocals. That meant a lot to me, and it was really rewarding and satisfying. And, and then that was like, okay, I trust these guys with my parts as well, with my vocal parts. Like, what can they bring to the table that I wouldn't be able to do? So, yeah, that shit was really cool. And thanks, Brown, for trusting me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. No, nah, I'm only joking. Of course I did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, absolutely, man. We totally didn't replace you with somebody else, unbeknownst to you. <laughs> you can yeah, do that no, with a bass player. Hard to get away with on the vote. We we fucking milli vanillied you. But yeah, we even got involved in the, the lyrics this time a little bit as well, which was uh, different. Yeah, Brown wrote a fair amount of lyrics on two songs where I was just like, Brown, you got some shit to get me inspired and... Um, particularly the last one, the Sumerian, was was the most brown written lyrically. I think that gave it something that I could never have come up with on my own. It was from a, more of like an esoteric, metaphoric, you, you know what I mean, Brown? Like you just write differently than I do. I think that everyone writes differently. That's why it's good to have multiple perspectives, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it came out awesome, like, like the hybrid of, of our... Uh, two minds sort of ma made it unique, I think. Yeah, I agree. The two minds for molding. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was so pretentious. <laughs> mind meld. <laughs> my mind to your mind. My thoughts to your. Yeah. Oh, your commenters are noticing my Majora's mask up there. Thanks, thanks, fam. Shout out. <laughs> it's just it's right there. Yeah. And if. You know? Yeah, it's everywhere. I've got to say, it is the worst Zelda for me. Yeah, well, you have bad taste, bro. I mean, it's like side quests the game. Okay, so he knows what he's talking about, too. Yes, it is. That's so true, but you know what? I like side quests. Like, do you know, do you know what I it was I do for the me? side quests more than the fucking in anything. In Elden Ring, that's what I'm doing, too. I just play side quests. To be fair, in the latest Zelda Breath of the Wild, I did like the side quests as well. But it's the time thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something to get used to. It drove me fucking bonkers. <laughs> right, right. Let's not even get started. Oh my I'll God. just go forever. <laughs> but I think, like, side quests are something that musicians get lost in a lot. Hey, there you go. Yep. Like, every time I hear somebody being like, I'm going to start a side project, I'm like, bro, you haven't put anything out with your main project yet. God. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, that literally goes back to what we were talking about with your course, is that we can't fucking finish anything. And, can't finish anything. You know, we get stoked on the beginnings of an idea, and then we don't want to fully follow through with it, so. I mean, it's classic artist problems, like... Well, they say art is never finished. It's abandoned, so... Only abandoned. It's, it's hard to... Uh, 
figure out when that point is. But you can either abandon it to the label for distribution <laughs> or you can abandon <laughs> it on your hard drive yeah. and right. no one will ever hear it. Right, right. Sometimes that's for the best. Sometimes that is for the best. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of why of you need some outside influence, you know, uh, uh, the, you need your fifth beetle, you need um, a producer, but you, you guys didn't work with a producer aside from Mick, is that right? You guys basically produced it yourself? Well, you know, like like George acted as, you know, a bit of a producer as well. and He definitely helped as well, yeah. I, I think we all sort of produced, that's such a wide term, but yeah, there, yeah. Was no, there was no one that was making like hefty songwriting decisions. In the future, though. That's usually a question that I that I ask about, like how much outside influence is there, like outside of the band or the the general circle. Like, do you guys run any of this stuff past anybody else, just for, even just for input, like spouses or friends or whatever, or proper producer producers? If you think about it, the most important listen is the first listen. So obviously, I obviously show my girlfriend all the time what. I've written it and normally gauging her response is a good indication of, um, you know, if it's good or not. Yes. It's a, it's yeah. a really good indication. I, th- I think it's important to get it from non musicians or, or people that, you know, aren't like super, super into music, but they like music because that's the majority of people. Not to say that's we're writing to f- fulfill a certain fan base, but also. It gives you a, you can't really tell what you're listening to when you work on something for that long. And to give it to someone who's more objective, it's it's a really good uh, point of reference to take with you. So, like, I've, I would do the same, you know, I would show my friends that they like music, but they're not, like, fucking, you know, in a prog band or something. <laughs> That's more honest than showing it to, like, a, a fellow... You know, I love guitar wanking, and they're just like... Never show it to guitar <laughs> players. And there's different ways to enjoy music. They'll be like, we more solos. Right, right. And that and that's fine, too. You know, you got people that listen to it for that, for the technicality and the skill. And then... But I wanted to write songs that were just good songs as well and appealed to people as just music listeners and not as elitists or whatever i'm actually glad that in the production we hid quite a lot of the technicality in the sound like there's parts where it doesn't sound as complicated as it actually is that's kind of the monuments way though too you guys do you guys kind of do that a lot oh yeah just turn down the guitars (laughs) (laughs) and i think there's gonna be an instrumental release of this album at some point too i i do want to state that so there's a lot to appreciate that i think without vocals would be like, oh, okay, that's going on there, and then you can go back and sort of appreciate it more. So that's a thing I'm interested in. Sweet. That's uh, coming from a vocalist. <laughs> You're like, I want to hear this without me. Yeah, well, yes, definitely. Because <laughs> There's your imposter because, syndrome. That, well, okay, let me <laughs> just say... without me at all? Oh, God, I'm oh, just God, gonna, this is not good promo. Fine, guys. You did a great okay, the <laughs> album is best with, with vocals, for sure. It's It's complete it's awesome it's there however i would love for people to appreciate them the way i was able to appreciate them um and in that you know there's a lot going on that that without vocals you you can really sort of soak up if it was my choice i would give them mick and andy 
<laughs> sure. Also, <laughs> let's have an alternate mixes album where we just no. But yeah, I, you know, I do. I enjoy instrumental releases, and also it lets people do their own covers. That's that's another thing is that they can sing along. That I always wanted that when I was coming up and doing vocal covers all the time. I wanted instrumental releases just that I could sing along to, and yeah. So I'm all about doing both both kinds that's pretty sick it's the first time i've ever heard that before i'm down <laughs> i don't know it's like, come on just turn off the guitar so that'll make it's it not, it's not that weird <laughs> oh man i'd love to do a dive into the layers okay you can't listen to it without stem player and it costs 200 dollars. and you gotta <laughs> you have to it's the only way shout out to kanye west i love going into stems <laughs> even in my own shit like going back and like soloing out certain elements and hearing them together especially like orchestration or like yep. layers of synths and stuff and like hearing different combinations of them that's the shit yeah yeah nail the mix uh, let's get some of those songs on nail the mix so people can mess with that yeah that's super fun for me like i, I just also love uh learning about the way that people structure harmonies and stuff, how many, how they do layers of stuff, and uh, I'd love to dive into. It. Yeah, yeah, very educational, and that that's another thing is like like we we were talking about stuff that's there, but you don't really notice it's there, but you don't you know it's really enhancing it. Like there's so much going on. I would love for people to just be able to dig into all the stems and the vocals too. Like oh man, there's so many vocal tracks and. I recorded and edited it all myself, so I put a lot of love and time and care into every harmony and every... If you were able to listen to them on their own, you'd realize like how, how much is really there. That's sort of the tragedy about really complex, big mixes, is that there's so many awesome elements that sound so great on their own, and then you kind of have to make a sacrifice to everyone in yeah. order to fit them all. Um, and you lose some of the nuance, but that's just the way it is. You know, that, that's part of creating an ensemble of, of sounds is that there's a bit of sacrifice to each one. So maybe we should mix the, uh, next album in Dolby Atmos so we can have one vocal in each speaker. Oh man. <laughs> one of those surround <laughs> records. Yeah. Well, Dolby Atmos is 64 channels, isn't it? Good God. What the? A little barbershop quartet of Andy's. <laughs> <laughs> There's the future right there. Oh my God, I totally have a barbershop quartet hat, but I'm not going to grab it. They're like, <laughs> we are monuments. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'd pay good money to see that. Maybe you could give us a little idea of, of your process for writing harmonies and layering vocals and stuff. Just like a little, just a little peek into the, how you do that. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'll obviously start out with the mains, and then my rule of thumb for choruses is a lot of I like to back them with a low octave to start, just to beef it up. And um, I always do triples for uh, for main vocals for choruses. So there's like one in the center, and then one on the left, and one on the right that you turn down and gives you a nice wide effect. And then I don't know, I, I just sort of like my ear snaps into harmonies. Like, I'm like, oh, that one would be really cool there. Or maybe a couple words at the end of a, of a phrase would sound great with a higher harmony. I don't really know what's a third and what's a fifth and what's a fucking, like, what the intervals <laughs> are. I just, I'm just like, that's right. Yeah. And uh, I experiment with it. I play around a lot with it. I like the choruses to be huge and then for the verses to be a little more intimate. So I'll pull back and, and do less harmonies on verse stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like... It's always been something that that came naturally to me, and 
very rarely will I have to sit down and work out a harmony like on a keyboard. Every now and then I'm like, what is what is that? And I have to use MIDI. But most of the time I'm just like, save yourself while you can. Okay, save yourself while you can. Like I, I have a good idea of what, what should be there. And I just play around with it until I find the ones that I like. Sometimes I'll track more than I need as well. And then I'll just, when I hear it all in front of me, I'm like, all right, I don't need that one. And I'll just pull it out. Better to have more than less and then decide later. Yeah, you got to have plenty for the uh, for the mix engineer to mute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, God, it's so hard. No, it's blended in there real low. <laughs> I know, dude. And I'm like, oh, man, I spent like two hours editing that. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the way it is. Again, it just really adds a little something, you know, and it's not uh, there. A lot? It's not God, there there's so much <laughs> of that shit, dude. So much of that shit. So we fixate so much on tone, these little subtleties, these little, oh, that, you need two of those, double that, and it's so wide. And then you got this whole fucking mix of a million tracks, and it's like, like <laughs> God, that $1,000 fucking effect is not even heard like what the <laughs> stupid audiophile bullshit man the thing that really sucks is that it's like incremental like the effect of caring a lot about each of those little things in the end it's more like it's it's worth it because if you didn't do that it would be noticeable yes if you do do it <laughs> do do if you do do it it does it's <laughs> People won't hear that it sucks or like that you did something. I don't know. It's like if you do your job right, nobody's going to say anything about it. Exactly. If you do it slightly wrong, everybody's going to be like, you know, they'll hear it. Yeah. No one's missing it because it's there. You know, it's it's a lot worse. Like there's a lot of jobs that are if they're done well, you won't know that they're done at all. Yeah. I mean, same way it's like making movies. They film like way, way, way more scenes that end up getting left on the cutting room floor because that's how you're able. That's the process of of squeezing the pearl out of you know you just have to you have to accept that a lot is going to get left on the cutting room floor or sort of mixed out but it's still it's like one of those teeny elements like that makes it unquantifiable when you're listening you can get really reductive about music opinions when you don't realize how much is going into a a production and you could you could sit there all day and be like oh just you know, I wish this bit was like louder or whatever without realizing there's so much more to it than that than just turning up the volume. Simple <laughs> tweaks and simple fixes. And that's why whenever you ask an engineer on mix revision 11, you're like, could you just turn this up a little bit and not really thinking about how it affects the balance the whole mix, the, yeah. of the whole thing all the way across and if you turn this up it's gonna be hitting this x compressor a harder yeah like, but, and yeah. it's just and they always do this like <sighs> exactly oh god i know i know <laughs> and you're like just push the fader up you fucking come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah all you want to do is just, just turn it up one db and they're like yeah but there's like a slot for it in the mix and all these elements that are interacting with the change there's such a big disconnect there's a value of disconnect between the production and and what goes into it the making of and then the listener you know when it gets to them and like what goes on in between is so much more complicated than a lot of you know people would expect i actually excluded myself from this conversation during the you know the mixing stage 
Uh, I guess a little bit, yeah. I guess he did. Very minimal notes from me. I was just really picky about my vocal notes, but I, I didn't do much to like the overall mix. No, I just let it be because yeah. it's just an opinion. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like we all want our those. parts to be louder and heard more, but I want it to be quieter. <laughs> well, you're an alien. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I think, I think you got to put your ego aside a bit and accept that. You know, the engineer you chose knows what's best for the mix. And, you know, maybe you don't need that part to be super, super loud because it's better when it's not. The thing that you were saying is kind of the uh, the iceberg problem. This is something I think that a lot of musicians can learn, too, right? Like when you think about a band that you love, right, their output, the the hits, the al- the album deep cuts, and then the whatever, like they've whatever they've actually put out the stuff that you've heard is usually just the top bit of what they actually created and then underneath the surface of the water there's just it's just a graveyard of the stuff that they they wrote in various different forms like maybe it was just a riff or a a partly formed idea it's just a fucking massacre of shit that never saw the light of day. <laughs> yes. And yes. you have to have that most of the time. Like you have to have a ab- abandoned ideas or st- even things that were completely done that didn't make the album or whatever. Like how many songs did you write for the album and how many or <laughs> start maybe and how many actually <laughs> saw the light of day? The amount of songs we wrote is on the record. Okay. <laughs> Well, okay, that's a I lie. think There's that's one. sort of true and sort of not because there were there were a lot of half songs that we let go. I think I think what happens is we'll get to a certain point with with a song where we're like this is worth pursuing. This is the this is the shit or you know, we don't we don't spend more time than than we need to once we know if an idea is working out. It's it's usually not like we'll get a song that's completely finished and then be like, "Nah, throw it away." Like for us, we're you know we we're not going to really sink our teeth into it unless we know it's it's worth doing. So okay, but you got some stubs. Yeah, I mean there there was like an outro that we left and there's stubs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the fucking if you have like a marble block and then you're chiseling it off like all those bits that fall off were were half songs that never got finished. But we needed those to sort of shave that you know into the sculpture of the album we had to we had to have those those pieces get get broken off and wasted and there's always an amount of waste wasted material part of the process it's very meticulous genre too as well being a, a in a prog metal band it's that's kind of like a huge part of it is is uh finding out what works and and mechanically disassembling it and making it as as refined as possible there was one song as well that was going to be the last song on the record but I cut the head off that. I liked it, but yeah. Yeah, it was just it needed a bit of work. It could have been good, but it was all acoustic. It was a bit scary. Yeah. That's a bit scary. How many acoustic tracks are there in the Monuments catalog? There is one acoustic part on the record. There is, yeah, there's no full acoustic songs, but yeah, I think that was one of those things where where it was like a good idea in theory and then when we started working on it we were just kind of like no that doesn't really fit at least you didn't do it and then it was kind of whatever and then you named the whole album on after yeah. it, like they did on <laughs> oracle no no we can 
avoid those situations usually. You get to the end of Horacle and then it's just this like weird strummy acoustic thing that's like fine, but you're like, why the fuck did you, why did you name the album? You could have easily cut this out and I wouldn't have. Yeah. You kind of see that a lot, don't you? Like um, title tracks of albums being like not really that good. It's like, why, why'd you choose this one as the title? It's just, that's the theme of it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really meant to be a good song. It's just like, <laughs> holy shit. Get into it. <laughs> yeah. So, so we try to avoid that, right? That things left on the cutting room floor that are meant to stay there. And we agonize over that stuff. And it, it does suck putting a lot of time into something that doesn't see the light of day. But sometimes you got to kill your little darlings in order to, uh, have the best piece of work for everyone. That's part of being a mature artist as well as sacrificing some of that ego. And sometimes there's parts where or ideas I, I personally really think is good at, at a certain point. And the other guys are like, nope, that isn't it. And I don't believe them. And then later on, I'm like, you guys were right. That was not it at all. There was how many times we got you to rewrite a chorus, right? Yeah, oh, several courses. I, I rewrote several courses. There was this, there was one song that I tried to fully restructure, and I, I like firmly believe that this was the way. Oh yeah, you did that for Makeshift too. Yeah, yeah. And then well, now that the song is the way it is, I'm like, oh, thank God we didn't do that. But yeah, yeah, that's that's one of those cases where I just had to trust you guys because in my mind I was like, I'm right, and this is I believe <laughs> this is how it's got to be. But you were it's like, so well, wrong. You guys literally uh, like know what you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> but in the moment, it's very hard to let that shit go. Emotionally, it's, it's fucking hard when you put a lot of time into something. And then that can hurt your record if you don't, if you don't know how to do that. It was the collapse chorus that you rewrote like three times, wasn't it? Right, right. That one, I rewrote that one. I, I rewrote a uh, Somnus chorus as well. That one was different. It was like, questions. You remember the original one? Fuck yeah, I do. Just remembered that now. And so, um, collapse as well. I wanted to not finish the song. <laughs> Bro, you wanted to scrap Cardinal Red at one point. I remember yeah. when we were working on it. You were like, "All right, boys, should we back this one?" And I was like. <laughs> Are you fucking high? I laid into you. When I read that, I was like, no, bro. Because there's Brown's imposter syndrome kicking in. Like That's the other thing is sometimes we have to reassure each other. Um, Like with Somnus, Mike wrote that one, and he was imposter syndroming it up. He was like, I don't know know if it's good enough. Bro, it's fire. Like I love this. It's one of my favorite ones. We have both of those where it's like, in your head, it's telling you it's really, really great, and your friends have to check you and be like, actually, no. Or it's like, nah, this sucks. We should abandon it. And your friend's like, nah, bro, this is really good. Sometimes um, you have to take it away from someone who, who started it and be like, you don't know what you have here. Yeah. We're going to do yes. what needs to be done with this. You yeah. you go take yeah. take a lap. Beauty of being in a band and, and you know a few people that, that trust each other. Uh, and have faith in in each other's abilities. So once again, thank God that we were able to keep each other in check. It would have been a mess <laughs> otherwise. That's cool. So you got like a kind of a hybrid workflow. You know, you've got you're all working on the things by yourselves, but also together, and it's collaborative, but a solo endeavor at the same time. And yeah, it's, yeah. it seems like you're taking all the best parts of each approach to make the the final product sure that's what we try to do i mean the it's very fortunate we're all able to record our own i was just gonna say there was chat about us all just getting in a room together to do it which maybe we'll try on the next one 
Yeah, yeah. I think the more amenities that are available, we'll, we'll seize them. But part of why it works so well is that we all are able to record, edit, you know, send back and forth. Like, we, we all do this audio engineering thing. That's probably, like, half of why I was hired in the first place is because they knew that I, I could get that shit done. And being over the pond, this is the way to make it work. And also the fact that we're a progressive metal band, it lends itself to the mechanical nature of, of the way we write, I think. That's just sort of a complementary element to it. It makes it work. Everything that we have happens to work for what we're doing. But yeah, I would love to get in a room and jam the songs out a, a, a bit more on the next one. Write it in the room. Let's do yeah. an arch spot. Or at least a bit. I, I kind of find that there's <laughs> there's a lot of pressure to... I don't work the best that I, I sort of work the best in both ways where like I need a little bit of, of in the room chemistry and then I need a little bit of I fuck off and be alone and do this, you know, get it to where I want it to be. Um, so, yeah, this the way we did it was great for hermit introvert Andy. Where I could just <laughs> burrow myself and and get it you know, work on it till I got it right without having And you don't have to eat terrible English food. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. God. Don't get me started, man, on that English. Hey, you guys, you guys can take that conversation Land. and shove it. <laughs> <laughs> shove it, yeah. Well, I'm excited for you to show me the real shit. No, no, there's none of when, it. Some. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, <laughs> it's weird to think that that's kind of how people did it for ever and ever before there was any kind of proper home recording. Obviously, we have the entire like history of rock music until basically like the late 90s early 2000s ish you know of like decent home recording demo stuff being able to send it over the internet and not just mail somebody a tape or whatever you know so it's really influenced the way that people write and then now even more so with with the way state of the world and not really being able to get together unless you know Mm -hmm. for whatever Mm -hmm. reason and it's i don't know like you hear about bands like Archspire who are still doing it, kind of the old school way. They get into a room and yell at each other until it's done. And it works really well for them. And then um, uh, other podcast guests I've had on here, like Rivers of Nile, he basically writes everything in a room by himself and then sends it out to the band to learn, give or take. And I don't know, like, is it better? Is it worse? It's freedom. It's doing it however you want to do it works best for you i think that at the end of the day that's what's all about you can you can still get into a room and do it that way if you'd like or now with technology we're free to be bedroom warriors and make music in a more uh introverted mechanical way and that's totally cool i think that i probably wouldn't have this career if not for modern recording tools i think that goes for all of us yeah, and that's that's fine. Like it's kind of funny how the needs of recording have influenced the methods and then the methods have influenced the needs of recording. It's it's like a I don't know what sort of what's the metaphor for that. But you know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like we made Guitar Pro in order to as a tool to write guitar. And now there's like Guitar Pro music where it's like this wouldn't have even been possible if I wasn't able to write in Guitar Pro and like like that's like its own genre almost like the faceless and and everything like super super techy stuff and now we write with that in mind it's like well okay you know i can 
I have these recording tools, so I can just do it that way. And it opens up a lot of doors. I guess some purists and boomers might not like that because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, it's not organic, man. It's not the same, but fuck it. You know, that's 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 just technology. We see... Then they're like, check out my cool organic jams at down at Spanky's. And it, it sounds like asshole, yeah. <laughs> you know, at 4.30 on Tuesdays, and it's just blues and e-wank. <laughs> Some people, <laughs> boomer bands. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not even trying to talk shit like what that that out of because it's fine. But don't oppress others who don't want to do it that way. Like, don't inflict that on anyone other than the bartender, please. I, I try to argue that fighting against modern recording techniques or auto tune or editing or whatever, all that stuff, that's like fighting against fucking like wearing glasses, like. Some people don't, they have other needs and they can see better and more effectively with new technologies. And then appears like, no, nah, dude, don't, that old fangled, you're wearing glasses, new school. Like, it's all just, that's the way the world works. Like, it, when you get older and you start to resist new stuff, that that's natural because you didn't grow up with it. But you need to realize that that is a fear response and it's not the way things should be response. It's because you didn't do it that way. So... I'm all about embracing the new techniques, even though I don't understand TikTok. I think TikTok is like an important, you know, new platform. And that's the same way for like Melodyne and, and Flex Pitch and, and Drumagog, like all these new editing tools. You can be resistant to it or you could be like, well, how could that enhance writing going going further, the the environment? So I try not to be too elitist about, about how people make music as long as the product in the end is sick doesn't really matter straight to tape actually no other way straight to tape <laughs> no editing i'd like to do that one time though straight to tape i i did that actually i used to go to a recording trade school back in in the day and and they had us learn how to record to tape it was pointless but <laughs> i learned it <laughs> i'm sure you've yeah. used that since leaving no oh, no. <laughs> no i have not I had to learn on fucking ADATs, which is the worst <laughs> combination hard. of digital and analog media. Because, yeah, that's a very weird. Because <laughs> it doesn't have any of the like tonal qualities of tape, and it's not quite as much of a pain in the ass, but it's not convenient enough. <laughs> yeah, it's like still getting there. That is... And at the time, they they had Pro Tools. It's just that the ro recording program at my school like just wanted to kind of i don't know it was almost like a filtering like you have to learn how to do this before we'll let you separate the boys from the yeah, yeah 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 and teach you the fundamentals it was like that with my school too you got a lot of people that dropped out and then once once we got through the fucking tapes and the az azimuth adjusting and all that bullshit it was like all right here's ableton and, and logic and pro tools and okay well you're still here well good <laughs> yeah <laughs> I learned on this uh, Yamaha all-in-one thing where it recorded directly to it. So it was like, well, a hard disk recorder with a mixer on it. I don't know what it was called. It was an AW something or other. I hated those things. It was like a, you know, like a digital desk, but you could record into it. Yeah. I still don't know how to use it now, and I learned on that. <laughs> those things are the worst. Sometimes I still hear about people buying those, and I'm like, bro, what? Retro. <laughs> a multi-tracker. I think is what they refer to it. Don't beat me up here. I think it's kind of smart to sometimes separate the computer 
with no, recording. No, no, cancelled. No, there's a there's a reason why. Is that the moment I go to write while I'm sat in front of this desk, I can't write anything because I've automatically got it in my brain that I need to record something. Yeah. So yeah. I think the separation is sometimes good. That's true that. too. I mean, I should take yeah. my fucking mic in the shower because that seems to be all <laughs> when I think of any good idea, and then when I sit down at my desk. That's why you've got your phone, mate. You've got voice recorder in no, it. I literally will. I'm not even joking. I'll I'll jump out of the shower and be like, da 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 da. All right, save that for later. Then get back in the fucking shower. Yeah. Most of the riffs on this record are recorded in my kitchen or my living room as videos on my phone. That's true, dude. And and Brown does that so much. Like he'll jam out a riff unplugged on his electric guitar and be like, "Oh yeah, that's it." How do you fucking write a literal prog metal? riff like that unplugged the chorus of false providence the one that came out last week the riff was written in my kitchen and on the video all you can hear is my washing machine <laughs> it's also pretty cool though that you do it that way because if you can make it sound good like that it's like imagine how sick it's going to sound plugged in and well, it's just easier to hear the notes when it's not covered in a wall of distortion if you can play well, yeah, but a lot of these yeah. jabronis are out here hiding behind distortion, so no, nah, I'm sorry. That see look down my I'm being a boomer right now. I'm being the leader. Yeah, you are. You're being a broomer. Oh, behind all these effects and their axe effects and He's a very clean guitar player. I love that that you, you can write that way and just you just play your your crazy wrist. I found the method that works for me. Like works for you, of, yeah. Yeah. Sitting in front of this computer, nothing comes out unless the initial inception is there. So sure. just go with that. Just take my guitar home, sit on my sofa, put some Netflix on, chill. Your comfort zone, yeah. That's where the good stuff comes out. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I think when you're sitting in front of an open Pro Tools session or whatever. It, Never Pro Tools. <laughs> an open Reaper session. <laughs> Open wrist studio one. Yeah, there's like this kind of, I mean, it's red light syndrome to a degree. Sometimes I come up with some brilliant shit, but most, uh, if I go back and look at my phone, the memos of where I, you know, like videos of where I came up with my best shit that I like, it's always sitting on my couch in front of the TV. Yeah, where there's no pressure. Zoning out, yeah. That's right. I I think it's like my rule of thumb is that I usually come up with a lot of cool and creative ideas. Like if I'm in the shower or I'm falling asleep or I'm like really stoned or I'm I'm in traffic. And that that's not a good time to try and compose <laughs> a full and fucking like do the damn thing. But being creative and just jotting those ideas down and then you can execute them from, from a more sober environment um yeah the inception of the idea but yes yes the the spark is is something that needs to happen in a comfortable creative way so yeah totally it's just carrying it out with the dirty work that's when you got to be locked into your desk and and focused and it's like but yeah i totally agree i've never really been able to to put it that way but yeah that's uh, it's one of the many parts of this very long process which is like something that i I talk about a lot in my, you know, um, on my streams, which are mostly about songwriting and my course and everything. Like, we're not really taught as musicians in like individual lessons or whatever, like, that songwriting is this much more involved process and there's all these parts of it. The inception part is where most people get stuck. Like, a lot of people can come up with those things 
like little nuggets of ideas, riffs, motifs, like a line worth of lyrics that's cool or whatever. Getting it to here is a fucking process. It's everything, really. You ever played Death Stranding? No. The walking simulator game. Oh, you like that strand type gameplay, like that Norman Reedus type fucking... No, no, no. What I'm saying is songwriting is like that. Okay. For you strand Kojima fans, you'll know what he's talking about. Please describe. (laughs) It's like hours, hours of nothing to then eventually spend like two minutes defeating a boss. That's what songwriting is. Yeah. There's a lot of of grinding and laboring and uh, tribulation. Yeah. Yeah, lots of nothing happening for a very long time and then getting frustrated. Then all of a sudden you've written something in a minute and you think it's bad and then you flesh it out and then it turns out to be all right. I also think that like that's a caveat of of recording and producing and editing your own shit is that you completely lose sight of what it is for a while. Like I have to really remove like once we finished recording and editing, I was like, I'm not listening to this shit for two weeks. And then when I when I was able to come back and hear it, I point of reference was refreshed and readjusted. But yeah, I mean the ear fatigue. It's like a this is my own shit syndrome. It it makes it so you can't you can't even tell if, if it's good or bad anymore after a certain point. So that it's always good to to recalibrate and get away from it after all that painful Death Stranding type writing. <laughs> <laughs> that game is no, I don't like that game. It's the losing and regaining perspective. It's extremely hard to do, especially when you want to be working on it all the time. Like you're excited about it. You're it's it's the thing that you do. You know, it's your job slash your passion. You want to be in there in Pro Tools, like coming up with all the in your DAW of choice, coming up with all the parts. And but then it's if you're too close to it all the time, you don't you don't know if it's good or not. There's no such thing as good, you know? There's no objective good. Yeah, yeah, you become stockholmed by your own songs. <laughs> stockholmed by know. your own songs. Yeah, yeah, like legitimately that. because it's being shoved down your throat by yourself, you know, mind you, but it's to the point where it's just you do I like this because I made it because I've been exposed to it? repeatedly and and i'm now a prisoner of it or do i like it because it's good fuck i don't know (laughs) and that's that's a war always (laughs) and that's why we got to tell each other we got to remind each other that it is or or that it sucks because you can have that too you could be so up your own ass that you think something (laughs) is good when it's dog shit (laughs) you have to be like bro i love you but uh nah (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't mean that they're right though either yeah but uh, you know, the ego does crazy things. The ego yeah, can build you up to insane extremes or it can knock you down to the lowest of lows. But you got to have uh, your peers to keep you grounded wherever you're going, wherever you're swinging. It's handy that you guys are operate as a unit in that sense because you can bounce all these ideas off each other. But there's always this levels of getting feedback and some perspective on it like some outside perspective like you guys have described you'll send ideas to the to the group discord people will be like oh this is sick or oh i can do this with that we can change it like this blah 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 you're bouncing stuff off but it's still within the uh the circle of caring sharing and respect the the circle of trust but then eventually you put it out to the big circle of Uh-oh. fans, new listeners, YouTube, YouTube, the the land of comments and and anonymous feedback f- 
from people who are shielded by anonymity. So now that you've got a few out there in the world, do you feel like the response to the singles that you've released so far has been, do you feel like they're picking up what you're putting down? Uh, Yeah, I think 85 to 90% of people are picking up what we're putting down, which is very encouraging. And honestly, a lot more than I expected, because I think Monuments is a pretty polarizing band, or it can be, uh, especially with having two other past vocalists and the sound shifts, you know, inevitably the lineup changes will change the sound. Um, But that being said, most people have been very uh, receptive and open to the direction we're going in, and I think it's evident what what we're shooting for. There's always going to be a, a smaller percentage of people that there's like, I'm not vibing with this, I don't get this, I prefer the way things were, which is completely valid and fine. But also, as we go, I see a lot of those people being like, oh, it's growing on me, damn, okay. Like, I get it now. So, yeah, it's a combination of being validated, being checked and humbled, and then being like, just trust us. Give it, you know, give it some time. And I, th- I think there's also a slightly better, more, something that doesn't eat away at you kind of way to look at it is that ultimately, without being arrogant, we've written these songs kind of for ourselves. Like, if we don't like them, then we can't expect anyone else to. Yes, so the way that I always see it is if someone doesn't like it, then it doesn't necessarily matter because that's not who it's for. And if you look at it from that perspective, then it won't ruin your day. To me, it's like, I love I love the songs we made because it's the music that I want to hear, you know? Exactly, yeah. And we're making the music that, that we want to listen to. I, I, I genuinely do mean that, you know? I'm not one of those people that's like, I don't even like metal. I only listen to hip hop. Like, like I really, really do like what we did. And I think that, uh, we have good taste. So if we like what we did and I believe we have good taste, then of course other people are going to like it. And the notion that we make music for ourselves first is definitely true. However, I also do want the fans to enjoy it like a family. So I, I would say that I write, with that in mind as well. It's not totally just fuck everyone else. You know, I'm doing this for me and me alone. That's never true. Um, but to an extent, it's like, I have to be into what I'm doing fully yeah. or else fuck that. You know, I'll, I'll get a desk job, like whatever. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. As if I'm like going back to what Brown was saying, if I'm satisfied musically, then it's, it's all good. It doesn't really matter what a couple jabronis say, but yeah, it's it's only been a couple jabronis. It's it's the response has been really great. I'm super flattered and grateful and, and relieved that that people are digging it. There's always going to be jabronis, <laughs> but yeah. there's always but as long I as, don't even know what jabroni is. Can smell what the rock is cooking, right? Or not? E- <laughs> wow, bro, that was <laughs> that's, great. That's all that really, really matters. Good. Jabroni brown is 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 a wrestling term that the rock in particular used to use a lot to describe his his feeble opponents. And and I'm not even saying if you don't like what we're doing, if you have different opinions, it doesn't mean you're a jabroni, by the way. But you know what I'm saying? Like enough people are really down with what we're doing that the confidence, it's all there. I feel the love. I'm encouraged to to keep pushing the direction that we're pushing. That's uh that's the jam. I think you're yeah. always your first audience. 
you're the the immediate filter of what's coming out. And if you're not stoked on it, you're not going to continue working on it or whatever, you know, like you have to like it. And the whole th- the whole point, the reason your fans trust you and trust what you're doing is because of your aesthetic taste and preferences. And that's what you're doing. You're putting that out into the world. You're like, this is what we like. This is the sound that we like and that we're, we're going to going for. I think it's also difficult like when you have a a sound that is I wouldn't say it was unique but because obviously there's a lot of bands that do this kind of style but it has a particular flavor to it that is recognizable and it's really hard to sort of pull too far away from something that you've spent the foundational of working on so there's this like point where if you don't go far enough some people will say you're just doing the same thing and then if you go too far then you've changed too much for the other people. And where is that line? That's the the difficult part to find. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's <laughs> definitely, there, there's so many difficult parts to find and to navigate. Like A good example of this actually is Dream Theater. So when you listen to Dream Theater, every album sounds quite different, but you can hear the Dream Theater-isms within it. Like, for example, if you listen to Octavarium, it sounds a bit like Muse, but there's certain elements of it that make it, without a doubt, dream theatre, you know? Yeah, so it's like, how far can you push that line before Mm -hmm. someone says, I wanted the amanuensis again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, but also, it's okay if someone does say that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the album's always there, though. And I think it's like a challenge of trying to capture all of these elements be fresh, be true to yourself, satisfy the the general public, satisfy the neckbeards, and like all these things. It's like a it's like an impossible. I'm sorry. Satisfy the neckbeards. I meant I've to say I meant beard. to say That's the uh, particular progressive metal, socially Incels. popular fans. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like like we all have a, a little bit of that inside. And and it influences how we write and what goes into the formula of trying to make a sick song and encompass all of these different things while still making it tasteful. It's quite the challenge, but if you're okay with what you've done at the end of the day, then that's a win for sure. Trying to to rein in all these elements and still being stoked on what you're doing, that that's the real challenge. And and if we can do that, then I'm always I'm always happy. With that in mind, what are some things that you did on the, that you guys did on this album to push beyond what you've done before to make it fresh and new? And did it work? I was exploring different key centers, as I said already earlier. You know, Mixolydian flat six, for example. And I allow myself a certain amount of like going outside of my usual thing. I don't like to do it for every song because then everyone will just be like, it's too different to what makes that sound. So I just give myself a certain amount of exploration beyond what I would normally do. As I say, you can go too far. You can stray too far from the path or go off the beaten track too far. Off the beaten track was a pre-pro name of one of our songs, actually. (laughs) Which was also quite different for a Monument song, (laughs) funnily. Yeah. Yeah, so adding elements to what you've already got, I think is a good way to see how far you can go, but then maybe just doing something that was completely off, like, for example, putting an acoustic guitar in there and writing an acoustic song and then scrapping it. 
<laughs> when we did that, it, it allowed us to still like there are acoustic elements in other, another song, but I don't think we would have gotten to that point if we hadn't been like, let's try to write an acoustic song. But yeah, man, I mean, for me, because I wasn't in Monuments, obviously, until this this album, but I studied Monuments a lot, especially upon joining, and I've been a fan. I definitely pushed myself out of my usual comfort range, and I, I tried to uh, embody what made them so great, especially vocally with Chris in the past, and still retain those soulful elements while being true to myself. That was something that obviously wouldn't happen if I if I didn't replace such a sick vocalist that came before me. So I wanted to try to not be like, oh, I'm putting on a thing to sound like monuments, but encapsulate those good qualities and put my own spin on it. And that pushed me to exercise my range more and do some some lower stuff and some more soulful stuff and just unconventional ways of using my voice that I wouldn't normally have done. And uh, also, I think we tried to make this album more cohesive and songy and structured than previous monuments albums like i see this as a as an album full of singles an album full of like just straight up bangers that have good familiarity and structure and and motifs and like callbacks versus a progressive linear which is great but you know we're sort of trying to do something different so yeah just making the songs more songy uh, was a conscious effort on this one. Nobody can complain about that except for the neckbeards. Yeah. What? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I mean, I'll complain about that beardless Andy all day because, like, I do love me some progressive linear jams, but I don't know. It just didn't feel natural. Like what what we did here was was just sort of where we naturally gravitated towards, and I think that will make the songs stand the test of time a little bit better. Give them more replay value. People like repeats. Even when it's, I don't know, riff salad kind of like longer, stretched out stuff, even if it's a bunch of unrelated ideas or just very, cr- just crazy shit, and then you bring back just one thing. Yes! Bro, you know what you're talking about. This is the, the type Fucking of shit hits. I think about all the time. You're just like, oh, but what if... Yeah, and we did that a lot on on this album too, where I was like, "Let's bring this part back, and I'll throw this vocal part back." It ties it together, man. When you tie something together, it makes it's like now there's foreshadowing in the song. Now there's a callback. Now it's it's like a literary device, but for music, and and it, it enhances the experience. I'm so fucking about that, man. I love that shit. I love hearing that shit. You know, I love hearing it from other bands, so I want to want to do it too. I like hearing it between albums. That's why I mentioned Dream Theater earlier. <laughs> right. Well, that is that's big brain moves, you know what I mean? That's when you've really found yourself and you can uh we all we try to do that a little bit here and there as well. Pliny is really good at that, I noticed. He's got yes. like a signature motif, like a yes. lay motif that that Dude. comes back a lot. And he does it without lyrics. He does it without vocals. That's the shit, man. That that's like, oh, it was like ever this element that's ever present from the first like part the to lick. the end, like thematic. That's brilliant. The lick. Uh, yeah, the, the lick. lick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yes, Pliny's a great example. I, I think it's so impressive that he can do that with no vocals too. It's like communicating without a voice. And I, I think to a degree that is kind of present in a lot of people. That sometimes people reference that as being copying 
themselves. I think that that bringing back of motifs is actually part of our personalities and you can hear it in every band to a degree. If an album sounds kind of similar, then it's probably that coming out because people have certain sounds that they gravitate towards, that they like how it sounds. And that's why. But there is a fine line between paying homage and then just recycling and you have yeah, to be aware of that presently aware and it's you know it's kind of like it's about intention i don't think people recycle enough i don't think there's enough like i think people get caught up in having to like constantly generate something new and and different all the time but really like bringing stuff back all the time is mu- it's easier and it's much in my opinion, makes for much more cohesive songwriting. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 grow, but we have the same skeleton. Let's grow. Let's not change. You know, completely into another person. Let's add on to to who we are and what we have while still ma- maintaining the bones that are inside for sure. Yeah, this is what I was discussing in the Jurassic Park thing, Jurassic World. It's like that same thing. It took me straight back to 1993. Yeah, yeah. I noticed Brown. You're very influenced by moments by specific moments that make you that they made you feel something you know if you take the nu out of monuments what do you have moments uh moments Ah, he's fast you fried it the moment's gone um (laughs) yeah no that's brown i think that's how you you write how you get inspired you just get inspired by a moment in a body of work and, and it like influences you and it's normally something terrible (laughs) i don't think it's terrible i think that a a lot of times what you've found is something that's like profound or relatable like a a vulnerable human experience i think it's weird because i remember the weirdest (laughs) things like i'll remember what someone's socks were on september 3rd 1993 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then as a result, we got that lyric in, in, in False Providence that the socks are there. No. <laughs> they were white and striped. It's like, yeah, it's this weird thing. I'll just remember these weird little things um, all yeah. the time. I guess that's yeah. kind of what inspires certain things. Yeah, the the scent in the air that was present that day or, or whatever. You know, just something that you can grab onto and it transports you back. To that time, to that moment in time. I'm so glad I don't remember smells. <laughs> Tour bus. Well, smells. none of us do. You know, it's it's COVID nation. Okay, none of us. We can't smell shit. Can you guys give us a, a concrete example of something in one of these songs on the album that you did that kind of thing, where you brought back some some stuff and you feel like it worked? What was the sound in uh, False Providence? How did that happen? The guitar noise. That wasn't a callback per se, though. That was just random. Oh, that was like a a, a mistake that just yeah. made it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was a mistake, that one. Yeah, so that one wasn't really it. I'm just trying to have a think here of this. Yeah, yeah. now, now that you're putting putting them on the spot, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like I need to look at the track. Well, okay, so like uh, no one will... Let's talk about uh, no one will teach you. Um, that was a quote from avatar right yeah no one will teach you to see or no one can teach you to see no one no one can teach you to see was the original inspiration for that yeah which was like a moment in the flick that isn't really even it's not like we're avatar crazy it's like that theme itself that no one can teach you to see is very powerful and something that sort of i think resonates throughout life in a number of ways and it makes it makes me think of you know times in my life 
where it that was uh that was relevant and then we bring it back into the song and I don't know that to me that's like a real life callback you know calling back to my own past yeah that I actually watched that film a lot when it first came out I thought it was great still do yeah it's a good movie but that that particular phrase always sort of stuck with me thought it was quite cool that no one can teach you to see yeah and then it it made it uh, it made it into the song because uh, Nima decided to use that as an actual lyric yeah what do you think is the most powerful moment on the album and how did you construct it and did it involve some kind of a callback? Like, what do you think hits the hardest emotionally? My favorite point on the record is the middle section of False Providence, even though it's like probably the most simple part. I was thinking that too. Yeah, it's just that, you know, where after that weird noise, it comes in and it comes into this like uh, chord sequence that's like, on guitar, it's not difficult to play at all, but... Oh, then it's not good pick a different one (laughs) (laughs) it's huge it sounds big it's epic it's it's a big moment yes i was like i've been pretty inspired by hans zimmer over the last couple of years pretty much since uh inception came out and i just wanted to create that so i was watching interstellar i remember when no time for caution came on and it was like so powerful and i wanted to recreate something like that so that moment kind of like is getting closer to that what I want to experience. God, that's that's such a good shout too. That that score is amazing. Yeah. So that part, yeah, definitely quite powerful um, for me. Yeah, you're talking about like life. Like, yeah, exactly. Down, 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 down. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's just like a hemiola, but yeah, that part's huge and epic. Definitely the most one of the most powerful. I was going to say that too, or maybe... Also the, the second to last riff of the Cimmerian. Right. When that, that drops that to one. the acoustic. All and then, that was ever lost. Like that big, that, that fucking flourish. Yeah. Big moment there, for sure. And that's like a call from a little bit of Cardinal Red in there, actually, as well. Yeah. There you go. There you go. There's one bit, yeah. One call back. Yeah. Now it's like gnawing at me. I'm like, I'll <laughs> think of like five of them when, when the interview ends. Yeah. And like, there's a couple of like approaches on the guitar that sort of made its way into a lot of the songs, like the, the hammer on kind of style of riffing. Ooh, I actually have something. Uh, I don't know if this is exactly the answer to your question, but there is a, a song called uh, Opiate where I bring a chorus back from a song that I wrote in like 2013 and it's it's like one of my old if you're an if you're an Andy fan you can probably still dig it up it's like a very very old and I was like you know this would be really sick right here so yeah I took it's like a 10 year old line and I brought it back cool so there's a physical callback I ask hard questions (laughs) I I think you ask hard hitting questions you ask the good ones you get us talking getting to the real core of what's important fucking shut up yeah I literally can't stop talking that's cool though I think looking backwards when you're writing is extremely important like once you've got something going on in the song if you look instead of like looking forward to making like more and more new things if you look backwards to what you've already got right yep like just like you were saying like you bring that one part pack it ties it together it makes it the humans just like that the familiarity of it it's like short-term nostalgia i don't know what it is but i like, like that, that. short-term nostalgia yeah the you know, nostalgia <laughs> is like a really really powerful thing like more powerful than than sex even it's <laughs> such a it's such a selling point to have stuff that's familiar well it's like bringing back the riff but slower and lower 
Like, why does that work so fucking well? Yeah, and you're like, oh, that was introduced before. Oh, yeah. Like, I love stuff that was previously introduced. Uh, it just it makes us feel a sense of comfort. It's like a stand-up comedian telling jokes that are relatable. You're like, yes, I feel more normal now. You know, yeah. that riff, oh, yes, like, I've grown accustomed to it. I can't, it's just a phenomenon, you know, but it, it works. It, it's satisfying. It makes us feel good. Familiarity legitimizes one of your comments. So that's so true. Yeah, yeah. The the um, I don't know if you're familiar with Adam Neely's uh, channel. Oh, I love Adam Neely. Yes, is that what he said? He says repetition legitimizes. That's brilliant. He is fucking awesome. So, I mean, that's basically the same thing. Familiarity, like that's how you create familiarity is with repetition. Like that's how it. That's literally what it is. You you saw it or heard it before. That's what makes it familiar. And then, the, and then the challenge is is bringing it back in a unique way. That's not just like a token. Obviously, you're just pasting it, you know. But also, I've noticed that in certain songs, when it's a really good part, I have a tendency just to keep repeating it. I'm pretty sure we've all done that at some point, right? Yeah, you're like, oh, I need to hang on to this moment for a little longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think repetitions are good. Now, what I really like is Tiz bringing us something back, but just tweaking it a little bit. And then you've got the familiarity and the freshness, which makes you want to listen again. You know, you change a note here and there in the chorus, or you do that last part higher or slower, like you said. Or or you do a different chord to, you know, get to the next section or whatever. Yeah. Right, 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 exactly. Or like I'll, I'll sing, I'll scream it first, and then I'll sing it second, but the words are the same. Uh, yeah, just finding it. It's like a little puzzle and uh, little clever ways to do it so you're not just being cheap about it. When you're structuring the songs, are you thinking about it like that? You're um, like, you know, you got a, a few choruses in a song to do. You could do slightly different things with it. Is there anything that you do most of the time like that? I wouldn't say most of the time, but like, for example, Cardinal Red, the two choruses during that song, the first one, it does the dominant seven at the end. And then on the second version, it actually goes to the major seventh. So then you got like the harmonic minor sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so that obviously the, the major seventh in a minor key pulls towards the root in a really cool way. So it created a different tension at that point between the two. Yeah, that that was a, a very cool and, and interesting choice where it was like you are repeating it, but you're changing it, but slightly. Same with the middle section of False Providence on the fourth repeat. The second chord changes and also the last chord changes. So the second chord just ch- it's the same root note, but the actual chord has changed, giving it a different sort of feel. Mm-hmm. And then the on the last, it goes to the to the minor sixth of the scale as opposed to the fifth. Yeah. So then it just gives it, a, it lets you know that it's going to go somewhere almost because it's changing, you know? Yeah, I like I like that. I, that's that's a nice uh, non-cheap way to do it. I think we, we all sort of have our tendencies that, you know, I, I want to, I'm like, oh, now's where we should definitely bring the chorus back because it makes sense in it. And if it works for the song, then that's great. But then there's times where it's like, oh, I've done this too much in other songs. I want to try to approach it differently. So I'll consciously try to break away from those tendencies and not write the same, you know, the same song structure again. Um, but, but yeah, we, we all sort of gravitate towards 
little habits, I'm sure, here and there. Pop song structures are the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember seeing someone where it's like someone was saying I was using the same, you know, sequence when it comes to structure. But at the same time, it's like the pop structure has been used for 50 years and people still love it. And I think there are creative ways to deviate from that, but still remain true to a familiar structure. Like that, again, that's the challenge yeah. is making it tasteful. You can definitely still not recycle, but reuse elements of other structures. But then maybe instead of like putting a final chorus there, you make a really big and epic bridge. Like, a lot of times, that's what it'll be. It'll be like, okay, we're at a point in the song where we can either jam out a third chorus, because that will work, and it's kind of predictable, or we can take this sort of, it's like a theme that resembles the chorus, but it isn't. It's like a big, epic finisher instead. Like, that. that's yeah. something that, uh, I, I guess, in Sumerian, for example, we did that. Instead of bringing yeah. back the chorus again, we have, like, a, a different ending part. But it's still... It feels familiar. You know, it's not like a riff salad new randomness. It's it feels familiar, but it's it's not the exact same. And and that's kind of yeah, it's like getting away with it. Yeah. <laughs> For me, like uh, arcescence and collapse kind of they're kind of structured in a pop way, but not really. It's like progressive because the chorus each time adds another measure, which is like pretty sick yeah that was cool that you did that yeah oh yeah arc essence yeah i forgot about that yeah so that one yeah it's kind oh, of yeah 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 Yeah, that one like yeah it, uh, it keeps adding to it as each chorus changes and it adds a really strange chord sequence to it mm. and it gets weirder on each chorus yeah that's something i want to thought to do yeah he like plays the chorus the second time he plays the chorus he adds another measure to the chorus and then again the chorus comes back and he adds another measure to it and it makes me have to like do something different like it's not like just repeating it it's like another i can't even explain it and it's a weird chord it's a really strange chord. i don't really know what's going on yeah (laughs) that's cool though that's a yeah it's just this weird chord thing yeah i don't know then as you go it it's growing a a weird growth <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like that. weird growth on the back of my neck right now what what's that song that's on artist in the ambulance by thrice is it hoods on peregrine where there's that one section where it does like seven eight and then six eight and then it hits the stab i can't remember if it's on that song now but there's one weird thing where it's moving like one eighth note mm-hmm. it was kind of thinking about it a little bit like that yeah yeah little tweaks because then you that's what it is. You satisfy the, the casual listeners that want familiarity, but you also satisfy the more uh, particular and distinguishing listeners that are looking for deviations from the norm. And that's that's what gives it I love that. It gives it replay value. You have the familiarity, but you also have like the oh, second listen, I never noticed that before. They tweaked that. That's fucking cool. And it makes you want to spin it again and um yeah, that's the ultimate goal is is the best of both worlds. I'm I'm not trying to be like just slap together a pop chorus and and it's good, it's done, fine, whatever. Like I want it to be satisfying and rewarding. You know, it's like you put your time in, you get rewarded. You listen to it again, you get a cookie for that. You, know? <laughs> you learn something new. I love the best kind of music is is where it's catchy but also you hear something different each time. It's really yeah. hard to get both cuz you can either have catchy and you've heard it once and you know it. Or you can have, it's you, you hear different things and it's unique, but it's like 
overwhelming linearity and it takes forever to get to know. But the best ones are like like Muse, you know, Radiohead. A lot of a lot of more legendary bands have figured out how to do both, and that's that's a great piece of art to me. And hopefully we've sort of accomplished that a little. I don't know. I really like. I'm not the- trying to like wank and say our our record yeah. is is awesome, but <laughs> I, I think that. But our it goals is though. Were- so <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to say it, but I am. <laughs> I think Five it's cool. Out of seven. And hopefully people think it's cool too. <laughs> I like that idea a lot. Starting with like a a pretty basic structure that's that people are expecting, and then messing with that a bit, taking the familiar. And then adding little twists, I think, is more exciting than something random or like that can be very cool to to do a, a completely fresh and new song structure as long as there's like a payoff. But like it's really cool to take something so familiar and give them almost a bait and switch, you know? Yes, like keep you on your toes. Yeah. A certain thing. You set up an expectation. And then you do something different, then you get a cool surprise. You can't have a surprise otherwise, you know. And you can make that as subtle or as extreme as you want. And I think, you know, keeping the listener on their toes, that's a good balance versus throwing them into a completely other like deep end where they have no idea where they are or keeping them sitting on their ass bored. And then, you know, there's the middle ground, keeping them on their toes. We're like, whoa, this is the same, but it's different. Nice. Like... All right. Like I, it's exciting. It's like a roller coaster. You you know you're not going to die, but you feel that d- adrenaline and fear anywhere and you're like, "Oh my god, you know, it's like a horror movie. Like like it changes it up enough and it thrills you, but it's not going to you're not going to drown in obscurity or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Or, and then in and then here comes the imposter syndrome. Or whatever. I <laughs> know I can't like, commit. Can't commit to a statement. <laughs> Let me say something really compelling and true, and then fuck. You're just you know, you're pulling whatever. all this all the, these vulnerabilities out, Trey. <laughs> I appreciate you making yourself vulnerable enough. Oh God. For, for me oh, to thank you, thank you, man. You. Really, uh, really good questions. Yeah. I think that song structure is very underappreciated by a lot of metal bands especially yes uh just heavy music in general we're catching up now you know like yeah for decades it was like fuck structure let's just be you know goofy looking kids that are actually virtuosos and shock people with our skills like that was what it was about for 20 years yeah early metal had mostly basic kind of pop song structures once again with a lot of this other stuff but like yeah, like most like Maiden and Priest and stuff like that. And that's when, you know, it was the shit. It was the biggest that metal has really been. All the bands yes. from that era yes, and, yes. and a little bit later, you know. And then we took that and tried to be like, how extreme can we be? And that's what it became. That's all. Yeah. That's what it was all about is how fast can you double bass and and how many crazy riffs can you can you put in? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And I think there was I think there's a lot of that that is awesome and like made metal better in a lot of ways like getting people interested in getting great at their instrument you know what i mean like pushing themselves mm-hmm. to do crazy time signatures yeah all that kind of stuff but then at the same time a lot of people 
went so far down the rabbit hole that they forgot about writing a song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, yes. A lot of people blame Dream Theater, but I think that's bullshit because Dream Theater are fucking great at structure. They really think about that shit. They're composing it. Tons of callbacks, th- thematic uh, motifs and stuff. You can tell which one's the chorus and which one's the verse. Yes. A lot of bands forgot about that. And you didn't. Yeah, we we sort of just hacked it for years. We sort of just like, we're like, uh, we, you know, you'd hear Dream Theater as a young person and you'd be like, oh, wow, listen to all those insane, crazy, progressive elements. And you'd sort of forget that they're also writing really good structured songs. So you'd be, you'd just be like, I want to make songs with crazy progressive elements. And then, you know, you got like <laughs> all the prog scene for ages and ages and yeah, now we're catching up. Now we're 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 back to realizing the value of strong song structure, but we're retaining those cool special prog elements that that we experimented with for so long. I think we got lost in the sandbox a little bit. Lost in the sandbox, lost in the sauce. Like uh like bands like Spirit Box are a good example of, you know, a good balance between pop and song structure and then also You've got some very interesting riffs and arpeggios and and prog wankery hidden in there, but it's there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I honestly, more than anything else, just appreciate that you guys are thinking about it. Just that you even give a shit and you're thinking about it in a way that's... Thanks. (laughs) You know, that's integral to the songwriting process. That's what happens when you get old and and (laughs) you're still doing it, you know? Yeah, you look like you're 16. Fuck you. Oh, dude, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm, going to be 30 very soon, so... Holy shit, I can't... Oh, dear. I can't believe it. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up, Brown. Yeah, like, kind of. It's... It's a little bit of the old boom, like wow, I can't just all oh, these kids these days can't just write a song. Well, I guess what I'm what I meant to say is it, it comes with experience. It comes with doing it for a while, and also the uh, return on investment. You know, like put all that fucking work in. Right, that's the other thing is is now my pockets are, are hurting. Like when I was twenty, I was fine with making progressive wank core that. Like I said, I just saw a comment that was like, "You can either play three chords to three thousand people or three thousand chords to three people." And like, I didn't give a shit. I I would be fine with playing three thousand chords to three people when I was nineteen because I just wanted to prove how badass I was. You know, if, like that was my goal for making music is like flexing with the big dogs. And now I want something sustainable that will stand the test of time and be uh how can i say this without sounding like a total sellout um be a great a great way to make a living also i don't think that you can't really think of it like selling out or or doing it just for commercial reasons because i don't think it's this hard polarity of either you're doing this fucking self-indulgent like long song form without giving a shit about the listener's experience or whatever, or you're doing this very formulaic pop song structure or anything like that. Yeah, why not both? Yeah. Or this isn't the this isn't the other end of the spectrum even. Like if you're gonna do like long format or like larger works, like Beethoven's shit is, you know, like fucking 30 minutes it's not wanky or self-indulgent. It's not like, salad, yeah. It's just deep. Even like the Fifth Symphony, you know, it's based on a fucking two-note, three-notes 
motif that yeah it has closure developed on that and you know there's a lot of space in between but like there's yeah there's there's no fucking reason you can't also fit it into something advanced and awesome into a three and a half minute yeah i think that i i care more about tying things up in a neat and complete way which has really nothing to do with commercial success and money but just more to do with what is emotionally satisfying luckily things that are emotionally satisfying happen to also be usually commercially viable or you know, whatever <laughs> you know what i mean like like it scratches an, a human itch that that we all enjoy nobody's playing prog metal for for the money like nobody gets into it for that <laughs> right right or metal in general you know what i mean like it's good for the soul at the end of the day it's always been about releasing these uh demons in a healthy way and if we can somehow do that and also make a living and also uh create something that people enjoy then yeah that's a that's a a w for sure well it seems to me having listened to it that you've achieved that with this um i mean you you won't know if it's going to be uh commercially viable until it actually drops april 14th 15th 15th right the ides of april i literally said that earlier (laughs) i don't is there an ides of every month i have no idea definitely the ides of march because that's an album by miles kennedy yeah well and it's right that's the thing but you never hear about the ides of other months is what i'm curious maybe it doesn't exist but it's who knows (laughs) we're making it a thing now so the ides of april (laughs) april 15th what is an ide (laughs) google what is (laughs) Ides. <laughs> Can you have a singular eyed? One, I've got one eyed and no more. One die to roll. One eyed. <laughs> but on that date, people will be able to uh, cast their vote with their money and their streams. So go pre-save in stasis right now if you're listening to this. It is very sick to me. The best monuments album thus far oh man i've only listened to it once though i I might on second listen revise my thinking all right all right that's but thank you let's just end right there best best so far (laughs) you can put that quote on your press release if you like (laughs) thank you man that means a lot to me you know the best out of this pile of garbage (laughs) (laughs) thank you for saying that that's very kind the smartest kid on the short bus no it's uh it's it's really great (laughs) it's really great your voice sounds amazing production is off the fucking shout out to george lever it's it's awesome yeah loving the mix and the and jens bogren and Uh, jens Jens, master the fucking man love jens's shit and so you guys have also your personal stuff that you're that you're doing like your uh andy you're streaming brown you've got uh riff hard do you want to let everybody know where they can find that stuff what you're looking for riffhard.com go and sign up Loads of play, loads of things to learn guitar from. World's best school for online rock oh, and yeah. guitar players. <laughs> Riff hard, baby. And yeah, we've uh, this month it's Jack Gardner as our guest instructor. We've had Miles Dimitri Baker from Interloper, Wes Hauk from Alluvial. Yeah, Dean Lamb and uh, from Archspire, Malcolm Pugh from Inferi. It's Dick Rippers only. Yeah, Mike Dawes, he's been a guest as well. Dan Sugarman, Ice Nine Kills, had him too. Mm-hmm. I've probably forgotten someone. So going through my brain right now. No, I think I actually remembered everyone. There we go. And then obviously anything from me, if you want to learn how to hit the string in one direction. <laughs> 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 
but only up to and never surpassing 240 BPM. God, I fucking love you, dude. Never change. Yeah. <laughs> if you want uh, so yeah, to go past that, there's RiffHarder.com. Don't go there. exist. Yeah. And then obviously this is Monuments.co for anything Monuments related. Tour dates coming up in Manchester, Nottingham, Bristol. Birmingham, London. More and more being announced, yes. There's yeah, there's loads more tour dates that we haven't announced yet that are coming up. So the Andy Eats Fish and Chips tour. Yeah, um, and that's all I'm gonna be doing is just fish and chips all day long. On stage, not even singing. Just it's just <laughs> no, a mukbang. You can just watch as I can it's a mukbang performance. Um <laughs> but yeah, this is monuments.co. Um keep up with us. We've all got our socials just where do you uh, what's your twitch for streaming um we have twitch.tv slash this is monuments where we do performances and uh, q a's and etc when we can um i've got twitch.tv slash andy sizzik where i do everything else um also practice we'll do practice as well and yeah just i'd say just keep an eye out um for exclusive content sometimes we'll even preview unreleased stuff so yeah good place to stay ahead great well thank you so much for hanging out you guys and taking the time thank you man this was really great you're you're an awesome interviewer thank you i really appreciate that yeah yeah i mean that man you just (laughs) if i can't stop talking that means you did a great job i try to shut my mouth and just listen i don't always do it but (laughs) that's the most andy i've ever heard andy speak that that's not true (laughs) get a couple whiskey cokes and it's it's just a never-ending shit fest <laughs> i you fielded all of my very difficult questions very well and um didn't answer one though did i no we kind of got it i ah, think we got there it's all right you know what if you if you think of it an answer to that question later just leave it as a comment under this video so if you're watching this oh perfect oh that's that's good after the stream check and see if they if they came up with any i like that a little call to action a, a little, little call to engagement. action yeah yes <laughs> you're gonna have to remind me of this <laughs> but like the reason that i do this isn't just for all the folks at home watching it's because i want to know how it is that it's done how other people do it you know because every time i do one of these i learn some really cool new shit about different ways to go about it different methods and structures and ideas philosophies the works and if y'all at home want to hear the the collected wisdom that I've learned on this on this podcast head to how songs are made podcast.com because these are um all audio episodes up there as well. Every week I have new and exciting guests such as these two handsome geniuses every every week here on the stream, 11 a.m. PST on the Gear Gods YouTube channel. And then every Wednesday, I update new podcast episodes for regular old podcast, audio podcast distribution. You can find all the different places that you can find the um, the pod. I mean, it's on every regular podcast um, distributor. But if you head over to the website, howsongsaremadepodcast.com, you can just click the link to, to any of the ones, Spotify or, or all of that. And there is now a dedicated Instagram page for How Songs Are Made. It's just at How Songs Are Made. Can't believe nobody yoinked it before I got there. Uh, don't you love that? That's great. I couldn't believe <laughs> it. I probably should have checked that before I like bought, you know, bought the, 
the domain and everything, but yeah, there it is. So uh, <laughs> follow these boys on all their yield socials and get ready for the drop. This is Monuments because you guys didn't have at Monuments available. Right. Of course not. <laughs> Monuments is a very, yeah. Um, but yes, In Stasis, new album, April 15th. Uh, please check it out. Great, guys. Well, thanks again so much and uh, hope to talk to you real soon and maybe maybe even see you on the road thank you so much trey it was an honor it was a pleasure oh and guess what everything we said today total lies it's all okay? a fucking lie <laughs> i wrote it out i was taking a shit with an eight track and, and that's, <laughs> that's how we wrote the album it was all a producer wrote the whole thing <laughs> i lied a yeah, fucking boy band cons- construct yeah we got pharrell williams to it was all. It'd probably be better that way. <laughs> all right, boys. I will catch you on the flippy floppy. All right. Take care, sir. Peace out. All right, guys. Well, this was an absolute hoot. These just get better and better. Every episode, as soon as I'm done, I'm like, that was the best episode. This was such a hoot. I love getting a little bit of insight into how different people do this stuff. Once again, today's episode sponsored by myself, and the seven-day Rift to Song Challenge. If, you, if you've done Riff Hard and you've learned how to, how to get the riffs going, now you want to get it, ter- take those riffs, turn them into songs. One riff, one song in one week. Jump on the seven-day challenge. It's completely free. The link is in the description. And uh, thank you guys all so much for watching. Um, be sure to jump on our Discord if you haven't already. If you're interested in learning more about writing songs, you can check out my songwriting course at howsongsaremade.com. And we'll see you next week. All right. Peace out.